and welcome to episode 19 of the Detours in Music podcast. I'm Laura Ruppel, and today we have a great interview with Dr. Bryce Hayes, Associate Professor in Music Education and Associate Director of Choral Activities at James Madison University. Hope you enjoy it. My name is Bryce Hayes. I'm Associate Professor of Choral Music and uh, Associate Director of Choral Activities at James Madison University. Um, can you talk about your start in music? Yeah, sure. Um, my mom was given a Steinway piano from my father when I was going into the first grade. And so that was sort of the first step in suddenly there's this big expensive instrument in the living room. So you should take music lessons. Um, and I started uh, playing piano and I immediately had a proclivity towards it and grew to like it a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple years later, I began to become involved in singing in choirs at church. And uh, the music at church was a, a huge part of my life as an elementary school student. Uh, I remember um, uh, uh, the church I went to had the children were in worship for the first 10 minutes and then they would be excused to go to Sunday school. Mm -hmm. And I remember fighting with my mom because I wanted to stay in worship mm -hmm. to hear the choir sing the anthem, which mm -hmm. came after the children left. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want to miss the choral music, yeah. even as like a third grader. Mm -hmm. um, so I think uh, it became something that was, yeah, part of my life pretty early on and continued all the way up through high school and then after that. Um, did you um, always do choral music and then piano? Did you ever do something else? I was a pianist first and a singer second, and choral music um, became was my main way of uh, being with my singing. Um, when I was an undergraduate student and studying voice more seriously, I grew to think about my singing in a wider uh, way, to think about singing opera and singing art song and singing jazz and singing musical theater but it was really choral music was sort of where I got my start. Okay um, when you were in high school thinking about colleges what was your thought process like and where did you go to school? Yeah I, I wanted to study both piano and voice so I went through the audition process on both instruments um, and my process was pretty open. I um, my parents really wanted me to study music education. Uh, and that was before, before I knew I had a passion in that. I think it was a very pragmatic decision for me to be able to have a marketable skill mm -hmm. upon graduating, uh, which happens for so many, I think, musicians. Um, so I sort of fell into it backwards, um, mm -hmm. that I was a music ed major for pragmatic reasons. But then I found, oh, wow, I actually really mm -hmm. like this teaching thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I was applying to schools that had strong music education programs and had strong voice and piano programs. And I wanted to stay largely in the Northeast. I was raised in New Jersey. Mm. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And the summer before my senior year of high school, I went to a choral music camp at Westminster Choir College. It was called Vocal Institute and it still exists. Uh, and it was a, a huge influence on me for a number of reasons. Um, but obviously choral music at a level I had never heard before. Um, and I got a scholarship while I was at Vocal Institute. If I, 
enrolled and became a student the following year. So uh, I sort of really felt like Westminster was where I wanted to be my home Mm -hmm. um, almost even before my senior year began. But then I had to go through the whole process. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, In your time there, um, what was going into potentially master's degree or doctorate degree looking like? So I really found that I loved teaching when I was an undergraduate student. And so I wasn't thinking about grad school um, in my undergraduate years. Uh, I was really thinking about when I get out and teach mm-hmm. and what level will I teach. Uh, and that's indeed what I did. I, when I finished my undergrad um, in music education, I ended up... Um, teaching high school right after that for five years. Um, And it was only sort of in my fourth year of teaching high school when I started to think about, oh gosh, there's some stuff I don't know how to do. Mm, Okay. Um, And, you know, part of the reason I was able to have a successful high school choral program was because I was a strong pianist. Mm -hmm. So I could sit behind the piano and get anybody to do anything I wanted them to, teach all the notes, but I wasn't really developing whole full musicianship in a way that, and I didn't even really know that that was a problem then. <laughs> I see it now that it was a problem in my early teaching. Um, but really what I was frustrated with was my inability to do anything with my hands, with my conducting gesture okay. to enact change. Because I would play everything at the piano and then at the dress rehearsal or whatever, when I would bring in the accompanist, I'd find, why can't I? Why can't I communicate what I want using my gesture? Yeah. So that was really what drove me to want to think about uh, the next level of schooling. Um, Did you get your master's in conducting? Yeah. My master's in conducting was from Temple University. uh, And it it was a very different place from Westminster Choir College. And that really drove me there. Uh, I needed the other half of the world. Mm -hmm. Westminster is a very heart-centered place. It's all about music and spirit and connection. And that's always been in my heart and soul. But I needed to go somewhere else that could kind of kick my butt Mm -hmm. in a good way and make me a technically stronger musician. Mm -hmm. Um, And someplace that was all about the kind of nuts and bolts of just how to use a conducting gesture and how to, Mm -hmm. and Temple was really that. I can imagine you being a very great high school <laughs> teacher. That would have been really I, fun. I loved it. And I still stay in touch with a lot of my students who I taught. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I could go back into the high school classroom very, very easily. Mm-hmm. I um, love that work. I love students of that age. Um, what really drove me to want to be at the collegiate level was wanting to work with pre-service teachers and wanting to work with uh, helping to shape uh, future music educators is something I became very passionate about. Mm -hmm. And to fill in that technical ability for them earlier than what you maybe. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I I grew to find that I was really fond of teaching conducting, Mm -hmm. uh, which you don't really get to do so strongly at a high school level. Mm -hmm. Have you... I guess growing up ever thought of a a second career path or a different career path? Yeah, absolutely. And this kind of uh, goes to one of your future questions that's on the (laughs) list, which is the question about detours. Yeah. Um, 
I've always been, I, I mentioned how church music was important to me as a young child. And I've always been a church musician as an adult too. And there was a pivot point um, when I was teaching high school, I was also working at a rather large Presbyterian church as their director of music. Mm. And I got more involved in leading worship. Uh, we developed a second service at the church where I worked that was called Worship in a New Key. That was all about doing worship that was collaborative and had music from multiple genres, mm. had African chant, right next to Teze, right next to Bluegrass, right next to a Bach chorale. And we were really trying to weave together all this. And so I got really fascinated in how this way that music could touch people uh, in, in a religious way, in this church way. So for a while, I considered going to seminary and uh, going through a master's in divinity degree. I became what they call an inquirer through the Presbyterian Church. And I spent a weekend at Princeton Theological Seminary. And this was all at the same time that I was thinking, what do I do? Do I do a master's in music and conducting to learn more about that? Or do I go down this other route? Um, and I came to the choice, obviously, to to do the master's in music and not to go to uh, not to go to seminary. But I, what I told myself at the time, and I still actually consider this to be true, is I didn't close that door. Yeah, definitely. I just, I, I just didn't walk through it. Mm-hmm. So that door exists, and uh, you and I know each other through the ch- church world. That's mm-hmm. something that I've continued to be passionate and involved in. Um, and you know, who knows? There are lots of people who go to seminary in their fifties and their sixties. <laughs> so I could be a late career seminary for who knows. And I mean, you're still leading worship and leading that connection through the music now. Um, yeah, absolutely. It, it will always be a part of my life, mm-hmm. even though it's not uh, the, I haven't gone on to do that specific study. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I would get a lot out of that. And mm-hmm. spiritually, I think I've, I've evolved, um, over the past decade or so, uh, but it's still a huge part of my life. Yeah, that makes sense a lot. What's something you struggled with when you were an undergrad? And this can be specific to like a class that was hard or um, an overarching thing. Yeah, I think, uh, and I see this mirrored in so many of my students now, I struggled a lot with choice. Mm. Uh, There was so much I wanted to do and so much that I tried to do. I, I was, um, and and this in some ways has not really changed. I was always burning the candle at both ends by being involved in way too many things. Mm-hmm. Most of my years of my undergraduate experience, I think I sang in three curricular choirs uh, at the university. I also worked a church job. I also worked with a community choir. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I did it. And, yeah. and when did I find home? time for homework or for practicing like I just I would like to go back and see myself as a 19 year old and think like what did how did I handle all this yeah. <laughs> um but you know I w- always wanted to be involved in everything I um and so I really struggled with how to how to choose and how to make selections that uh were better for the balance in my life mm-hmm. um and so I, I sort of really didn't have a good sense of balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been something that has impacted my teaching um, really in the past uh, five years, I would say, 
is to try and think about and talk about and create spaces in which my students at the collegiate level can dialogue about the ways in which they're trying to find balance in their lives. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned that you think you still kind of have that personality trait. Um, some people will give advice um, to basically do absolutely everything and go for it. Other people will say, you know, stick to one or two things. Do you think overall you have a specific thing that you usually say to people? What I say now is uh, you have to look at your life as all the portions of it. Mm -hmm. And if you put too many eggs in one basket, other things are going to suffer. Mm -hmm. um, so if you decide I'm going to go for all this, I'm going to play in every single musical ensemble mm -hmm. and I'm just going to do that. Mm -hmm. Then how, I mean, if that's just your music portion of your life, how do the other portions of your life suffer? How is your spirit? How is your physical body? How is your mental and emotional state? And I, I, I think a lot more holistically now is you have to look at the broad picture and you have to look at what you're doing right now doesn't necessarily need to be what you're doing in 18 months or certainly in five to 10 years. So you can think of life as an evolving passage, um, but in the moment, the, there should be balance uh, in all areas of your life. Mm -hmm. I don't always succeed in that. It's easier yeah. to preach about than to actually do. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Do you think that there's things that you say, you hear yourself saying to JMU students all the time? Yes. And, you know, I've, I've been uh, saying this word balance a lot, but I, I had a teacher when I was an undergrad who worked with young children in children's choirs uh, in the church. That was her training. Her mm -hmm. name is Helen Kemp. And her, one of her mantras, we sh she would say, body, mind, spirit, voice. It takes the whole person to sing and rejoice. And that's just one of her beautiful little quips about mm -hmm. the way that she would think about holistically involving children in worship and children in the musical life of the church. I have adapted that and changed it. And for me, I've created these four quadrants of body, mind, spirit, and then music. Mm -hmm. um, I think for, you know, I talk to musicians a lot, but mm -hmm. whatever that vocational piece is, is the fourth piece. Mm -hmm. If you're an artist, if you're an actor, that's, that's that fourth quadrant for me. Mm -hmm. um, but you can't neglect your physical body. You, and I, I have a lot in the past and I have let my health go because I've been more concerned with uh, studying or with practicing or with I have yet another choral rehearsal to go to. And so I'm just going to grab food on the way and it may not be the healthiest option. But thinking about um, my physical body and my spiritual body and um, body, mind, spirit, um, and your vocation on top of that. So I try and talk to my students about that all the time mm -hmm. and uh, invite them into a process by which they're thinking about how is their balance now. Um, yeah. Um, before you were talking about, oh, I wish I could see myself when I was 19 and how I did everything. Um, <laughs> I think now, like in the situation we're in, I look at my calendar and I see everything I was supposed to have done <laughs> in a day. Mm. And I don't even understand how that was normal. <laughs> I know. 
Yeah. And that's that's maybe the good thing about this whole, you know, we're in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I try to find the silver linings in mm -hmm. this complicated, difficult situation. I think we're all getting to collectively take a breath mm -hmm. a little bit and take stock of and remember the reasons why we do what's important to us. Mm -hmm. And boy, do I miss ensemble music right now. I'm sure you do, too. Yes. <laughs> um, it's so hard to not be able to make music with people. Um, but, you know, I can imagine a time, I, was, I said this to some colleagues recently, I can imagine a time in the future when we are incredibly busy and incredibly stressed where we think, gosh, I wish I could just be home quarantined again for a day. I'm sure, yeah. That makes <laughs> <It'll> sense. <happen. laughs> Looking back on your life and professional career, do you have a couple musical detours you can think of? So musical detours, I, I suppose the one I talked about um, potentially moving into the church world, that was sort of musical detour number one for me. And that came, I was probably 24 when I had that. Um, and then the other ones have been more specific to the music world. Mm -hmm. um, when I was teaching high school, I got really into musical theater and I ran, I was the music director for our musicals at the school. Um, and I started doing more community theater and then I started thinking about that as a vocation. Like, do I move more down that road? Um, and I'm really lucky in the job I've had that that's been able to be a part of my life. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's very important to me. And uh, I love that world. Um, I also, I, I wasn't sure if I would go into a collegiate job. Um, when I, when I was doing my doctorate at the university of Minnesota, I worked for an LGBT chorus called one voice mixed chorus in, uh, St. Paul, Minnesota that that organization ch changed my life in that time period. I always sort of looked down my nose at the music that was made in LGBT ensembles as not really about the music. Okay. It's just about people getting to know each other, you know, and I sort of was a snob about it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and when I came to work with this incredible organization in Minnesota, I, it's just changed what I saw to be possible through community music in that level. Mm -hmm. And um, the amount of societal change and um, communication you can do through the art um, for humanity and for the good of people mm -hmm. um, was really, uh, I was so passionate about. Um, and I, in my final year of my doctorate, I got to take that ensemble for uh, one season and be their conductor. Awesome. Uh, and I loved that experience. And so I, you know, I, and at one point I thought, maybe I'll go into a full-time gala job. They call them gala choruses. They're the Gay and Lesbian Association of Choruses. Okay. Um, and so I've thought about, you know, there are some of the big choruses, like the Los Angeles Gay Men's Chorus, um, that, you know, I thought, oh my gosh, do I look for a job like that? Mm -hmm. Or do I move into a collegiate job? Um, so that was a, a detour that my career could have gone down that road. And again, it's a door I didn't walk through, but I didn't close either. Yeah, uh, it's, it's work I'm passionate about that I'd love to be involved in. Hmm. That's really cool. And then I would say the the most recent detour has uh, 
been a good one for me. When I came to JMU, this is now nine years ago, wow. um, in, the, in my first summer after teaching at JMU, I started doing my Kodai training in the Kodai method. Uh, it's actually not a method, it's a Kodai approach to music education. And learning about that changed who I am as a musician, fully, mm -hmm. completely. Um, and it moved me away from being a musician who was driven by ego-centered uh, pursuits, which are things like doing the world's hardest repertoire with your choirs, because mm -hmm. that says I'm a good choir director and it says my choirs kick ass. Um, rather moving into um, uh, developing the whole musician, mm. which I guess sort of speaks to the whole kind of holistic thing um, that I'm interested in. I, I'm interested in that too with the development of musicians. Kodai talks about you have to try train the hand, the ear, and the eye, and the heart of the musician. And all parts of the musician need to be trained. Mm -hmm. And um, so for me now, my teaching is less about repertoire and more about developing full musicians. And of course, yes, we sing some pretty damn good repertoire along the way, but mm -hmm. that's not the eventual end goal. It's about the musicianship of the people in the ensemble mm -hmm. and about the experience of the people in the ensemble in developing their whole holistic musicianship and not about oh, we're singing some really hard Stravinsky or something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, a question I have about Kodai, which could be just Googled, but is that teacher training mostly just for choir? No, it's not. Um, you know, Kodai has this reputation in America for being the way you teach elementary general music. Okay. Um, and it's a methodology for that. But that's really not, that's, that's unfortunately an oversimplification. Mm -hmm. um, Kodai was passionate at training musicians of all levels. Okay. And Kodai spent his career working at the, the music conservatory in Budapest. So he was training collegiate musicians in the conservatory who were playing the oboe and playing the piano and doing, you know, doing okay. their upper level. So Kodai, um, it's really, it's all about developing the whole musician. So you could become a Kodai teacher mm -hmm. who is a band teacher or a Kodai teacher who's an orchestra teacher or a Kodai choir director mm -hmm. um, or a Kodai community musician. I suppose you can take it and use it in many different ways. Mm, okay. I guess that's why they don't, it's not specifically a methodology. Uh, it's more an approach to mm -hmm. the overall music making. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. In your life, were there any moments where you can pinpoint knowing things are changing? Um, I guess for you in your high school job, wondering if you would go get your master's in two different things. Um, but even as a teacher, as you're mentioning, the things that you notice around you shifting your mindset, maybe? Oh, wow. It's a very, it's a very good question and a very pertinent question to right now. I feel like we're in the midst of so much societal change right now. And yes, we are within this pandemic, but it's hard to know where we will land when this is all over and what the world will look like. So much is changing so quickly and so broadly. Um, I heard a really interesting um, episode of the TED Radio Hour on NPR. Do you know that show? I've heard of it, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to have to find the episode and send it to you so you can link to it or something. But it was 
um, it was so interesting because it talked about how humans do a better job of looking back than we do looking forward. Mm. When, we, when we think about the ways in which our life, lives have changed over the past three years, humans basically always think that their lives have changed more in the past than their lives will change in the future. Mm. But that's not true, of course. Mm. We are constantly changing and evolving. And um, so I try and remain open to that. And I try and remain open to listening to the ways in which I'm being called. Mm -hmm. And the spirit is speaking to me to move me in new directions. Uh, a couple years ago, an opportunity came up for me to take on a community choir mm -hmm. that's in Crozet, which is kind of far away. It's an hour over the mountain. Um, but I drive over there once a week and I work with 85 people, uh, community singers, non-auditioned, all levels, all ages. Uh, the median age, I would guess, is probably somewhere in the late 60s. But I love it. Okay. And I love it because it has none of the pressures of my JMU singers and the collegiate the, being within the academy and the mm -hmm. ivory tower and all that. It's people who are there because they love what they do. Mm -hmm. And that community music making um i think that needs to be at the heart and the core of mm -hmm. what it is we do and to and it also gives me a sense of reminding me um why i love my field so much to see the passion they bring to uh their music is truly inspiring mm -hmm. so i have no doubt that in the next three to five years my life will change dramatically and drastically in ways I'm not, uh, I'm not even aware of. Mm -hmm. uh, I tell my students at JMU sometimes, I really don't know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> I'm working on and, it. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I'm in my 40s and I don't feel like I'm grown up. Yeah. I don't feel like I figured it out. And, um, you know, so the next journey that will open, well, yeah, let's do it. Let's, mm -hmm. let's, see, let's see where life takes us. Do you think um, doing your yoga teacher training is similar to that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the yoga teacher training brought so much to me in terms of this idea of balance that I spoke about mm -hmm. and the idea of uh, my physical body, obviously. The asana practice is a, is a physical practice, but it's also a deeply spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. um, and it also, um, I think yoga has taught me to be open to listening to myself and to the world around me and open to the opportunities that will arise. Mm -hmm. um, I think you always need to have a one-year, a five-year, and a 10-year plan. And then you have to also have an openness that none of them will work out the way you want them to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> In good and bad ways. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Did you want to talk about any of the quotes? Oh, these are such good quotes, Laura. I love them all. The one I've landed on is the Robert Schumann quote, to send light into the darkness of men's hearts. Mm. Such is the duty of the artist. I would probably amend it by saying to send light into the darkness of people's hearts. Such is the duty of the artist. I think that we are, as artists, mm. are called to remember why community matters, why people matter, why our journey we're on matters. I think it's been so fascinating during this epidemic mm -hmm. to see how much people are, are drawn to the arts. Mm -hmm. 
when you're having to stay home on your couch all day, you need stuff that can sustain your soul and tell you that it's all going to be okay. And uh, I think for us to think about what, what would life be like right now if there was no music, no art, no film, no television, no theater, if we had no radio, if we had none of that, mm -hmm. I don't think any of us could get through this right now. This is, mm -hmm. arts are hugely important yeah. to our existence as humans. I saw something on Facebook that said something along the lines of, oh, when everything's working, we don't appreciate the artists, but when everything's not working, like that's the only thing we're turning to. Exactly, very true. Can you talk a little bit about what brought you to JMU and what you do at JMU and what's your goals for what you do at JMU? Yeah, sure, sure, happy to. Um, my older brother is a JMU alum and he is a year older than me. And so when it came time for me to think about going to college, my parents really wanted me to think about going to JMU because they'd been down here to visit him and they had heard probably the Marching Royal Dukes. They'd seen the incredible school of music that JMU has. Mm -hmm. um, and I was um, a little strong-headed, I think, as a high school senior. And simply because my older brother went to school here, I refused to consider it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we were a year apart and we were very sort of oil and water, I think. Um, so I refused to think about JMU. But when I was applying for jobs at the end of my doctorate and thinking about doing this collegiate choral conducting thing, mm -hmm. um, I saw the job for JMU and thought, oh my gosh, wow, it's a beautiful part of the world. It's a part of the world that values choral music very much. Uh, and that was important to me. That was the reason I ended up in, in Minneapolis for my doctorate, was that's another part of the country that really is a center for choral music because of the deep Lutheran tradition schools like St. Olaf and Concordia and Luther. Mm. I wanted to be a part of that kind of zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. Likewise, here with the great Mennonite brethren tradition that runs through the valley, this is the center of choral music. Um, so I was happy to put my name in the ring. Mm -hmm. And I was also interested in the job in that what I do at JMU is I'm a choral director, first and foremost. But I'm also on the music education faculty. So I'm working with pre-service music educators. Mm -hmm. I'm working with graduate students and getting to teach graduate students in choral uh, conducting their graduate choral literature. Mm -hmm. I get to work with the musicals. I get to work with the operas. All of these experiences fill who I am as a musician. Yeah. So it's ended up being a great place for me to teach. I'm passionate about the institution at large. I think JMU is a beautiful school. I think the School of Music is quite fantastic. Mm -hmm. I think we're in a period of, uh, as a lot of things in society, I think a lot is going to change in the coming years, and it will be interesting to see where we go. And I'm happy to be a part of that. I'm happy to be the change, to quote a JMU phrase. <laughs> I guess as we wrap up, if you have any final thoughts you wanted to mention, I just want to thank you for the work you're doing on this podcast. I think it's an enormous undertaking, asking all these questions and going out and uh, examining the way other people have lived their lives and fulfilled their uh, career is, is really fascinating. And we all benefit 
yeah. um, by the work you are doing. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, thanks thank so you. much, Laura. Yeah, thank you. It was great to talk to Dr. Hayes for this episode. And I don't know that he knows this, but one of my regrets at JMU, probably my only regret, is that I was never in one of his choirs because in high school I was really active in choir and I always wanted to be in one of his groups at JMU, but it never worked out. So to Dr. Hayes, I really wish I had done that, but hopefully in the future you never know what can happen. Thank you for listening and I encourage you to check out our previous episodes on the YouTube channel on my website, lauraruppeloboe.weebly.com. And Spotify and Apple Music podcast apps have a couple select episodes every month, but YouTube channel at Detours and Music Podcast is where you can hear them all. You can also connect with the podcast on the Instagram page, Detours and Music Podcast, and through the email, which is detoursandmusicpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and hope you tune in to the next one.